0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good morning, and welcome to Mayflower Congregational Church. We're glad that you've joined us this morning. I'm Pastor John White, and I'm joined with my friend, Reverend Ruth Bell Olson, and together we're your interim pastoral team. Joining us this morning is our guest musician, Ryan Potts, our choir director, Scott Bosher, our stage manager, Pat McGuire, and our wonderful uh, director of music, Dr. Julia Brown, who gives us that wonderful music every Sunday. I'd like to start out with some good news this morning. We are 89% of the way toward our pledge drive, taking us to the reduced budget that we have uh, for COVID. We have $715,000 pledged. Uh, $715,000 pledged. We're only $85,000 short of our goal. 87 people, 87 pledging units, families have been able to maintain their pledge. Uh, 39 have been able to increase it, and we understand that some of you are facing financial hardship right now. We want you to take a sabbatical uh, until you're back on your feet. For those of us who can give, we still have $85,000 to go, but we're a lot closer than we were two weeks ago. Have other good news. Ginger Young, the director of our pastoral search team, pointed out last week that the search is moving along. The team is meeting with a consultant later this month, and uh, they hope to begin reviewing candidates in February and in March, having someone here by Easter. Uh, And although we're in the season of epiphany, Lent is coming on February 17th. Ruth, Julia, and I met earlier this week, and we started planning uh, an outdoor Ash Wednesday experience, something like our Christmas Eve experience, and uh, Ruth and I are putting together a sermon series, thanks to Scott and Julia and their inspiration. For Lent, we are going to cover the stage, well, some of the Stations of the Cross. And now, I would like to introduce Dr. Julia Brown with a word about today's music.
1: like to highlight two things that we're doing with music today. Um, First of all, Ruth has picked three scripture readings for our service, Um, and as we were planning today's service, uh, she suggested that we read the psalm or introduce the psalm in a different way. And immediately I jumped on that opportunity and I said, oh, let's chant that psalm. And we've got a resident expert in Anglican chant here with Scott Um, Bosher. And so I'm excited that between the two readings, uh, scripture readings, we will also have a third reading of the psalms that will actually be chanted. And chanting is an ancient practice um, in our Christian spiritual tradition and what that does is it provides a way to sing unmetrical texts like the Psalms by matching the natural speech rhythm of the words to the notes of a simple harmonized melody and good chanting allows us all to hear the text in a different way and experience the meaning of the words as they open in new and beautiful ways Today's uh, melodic formula is by Sir Walford Davies. He's one of many composers who has written these harmonizations throughout the centuries. Uh, British composer that was active mostly in the uh, first half of the 20th century. If you sing in chancel choir, you might recognize uh, this chant because we sang it, we learned it and sang it as a choir at last year's Ash Wednesday service. If you're new to Anglican chant, I invite you to listen attentively and allow the meditative qualities of the chant to surround you. I also want to point out Ryan Potts will be singing a beautiful setting by Moses Hogan of a traditional spiritual. Um, Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. This is a nod towards Martin Luther King and a way for us to experience through music uh, some of what Ruth will be talking about in her ser- in her sermon.
0: Thank you, Julia. It's epiphany. It's also a Sunday when we remember the Reverend Martin Luther King and his example his direction, his work, and the meaning of his life. So please take a moment, center your thoughts, breathe deeply, and think of the holy. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're worshiping with us. Let's worship in spirit and in truth.
2: Praise the Lord. Far away, both me and far away, and seems to be solemn and still, as if my soul with wonder to.
0: God and Ryan. If you have your bulletin, please join me in the call to worship. If not, please listen. O oh Lord, you have searched us and known us. You know our thoughts and dreams. This morning we have a dream. Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, dreamt about uncertainty. We, too, know the uncertainty of dreaming. May we, like Joseph, respond in faith. Mary, Jesus' mother, dreamt about a child and a new beginning. We, too, dream of new beginnings. May we, like Mary, respond in hope. The Magi dreamt about going home by a different way. We, too, know how dreams can alter our plans. May we, like the Magi, respond with our feet. Today we dream of unity in a divided land. We dream of one nation under your guiding hand as we gather in cyberspace to worship you. Amen. Join me in the opening prayer. Lord God, you led your chosen people from slavery in Egypt to the freedom of the Promised Land. We ask you to lead us, to lead us from hatred, ignorance, fear, racism, injustice, or anything else that prevents us. From being the community of love and respect that you want us to be. We remember with gratitude today the witness of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And we ask that we have the courage and determination to follow his example in battling injustice and living the gospel of love. Help us, Lord to make evermore the community you want us to be. Grant all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. comes from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. It's a little long, but it's a great story. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of of God had not gone out, and Samuel was lying in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel. And he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Lie down again. So Samuel went and lay down. The Lord called again Samuel, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not know the Lord and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again, a third time. And he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. If he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God. And he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the inequity of Eli's house shall not be expiated by the sacrifice of offering forever. Samuel lay there until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, here I am. Eli said, what was it that God told you? Don't hide it from me. May God do to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Then he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
3: Oh Lord, You have searched me and known me. You'll know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down. And are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue O Lord, you know it completely You hem me in behind and before And lay your hand upon me Such knowledge is too wonderful before me It is so high that I cannot attain it For it was you who formed my inward paths You knit me together in my mother's womb I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all your days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God, How vast is the sum of them? I try to count them, they are more than the sand. I come to the end, I am still with you. Glory be to the Father and to the Son. And to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, well,
0: Reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 43 through 50. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him, Jesus said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked Jesus, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
4: Please pray with me. God be with us now. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. He is a professor at one of our local universities, a distinguished and kind of formal person. When he's watching a game on Saturday or Sunday afternoon, and his wife asks him to run to the store to pick up a few items, he has to pause before he can answer. You see, he cannot grab his keys and simply go, because he's... Hanging around in his comfy sweats, he has to take extra time to put on his work wardrobe before heading out into public. Why? Because he has found that he's less likely, not completely unlikely, but less likely, to be followed down the store aisles by security if he has on his professor clothes, a button down shirt, a sport coat perhaps. He is so routinely followed through retail spaces that one would think it doesn't bother him anymore. But it does, every time. There's nothing suspicious about the way that he carries himself or his demeanor, but he's black, and this is suspicious. She is an ordained minister with a master's degree. She lives in Grand Rapids, and often plans her routes in a circuitous manner in order to avoid driving through East Grand Rapids. This adds precious minutes to her day, but she's so tired of being pulled over, or enduring the fear of being pulled over, that she finds it best as a black female driver to simply avoid East altogether. He is a little boy about five, when he tells his mother that he wishes he had white skin like hers. She admires his beautiful dark complexion and says, well, I wish I had skin like yours. He responds, oh, no, you don't, Mom. It's so hard. These are the stories of two of my friends and of my youngest son. And these examples pale in comparison to those of Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, the list goes on. People of color murdered, lynched just last year. Their stories, compounded by our history of accounts like theirs, led to the protests around our nation. And just 11 days ago, when our nation's capital was attacked by rioters, We saw them carrying Confederate flags and wearing myriad symbols of white supremacy and bigotry. Hatred is alive and well. We have a problem, all of us. This weekend marks Martin Luther King Jr. Day, so it would be remiss if we as a church did not address the problem before us. I've been rereading one of Martin Luther King Jr.'s books, This past week, it's titled, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community? I've been struck by how contemporary his writing is. Have 50 years passed with no change? Many seem to think so. He writes, the majority of white Americans consider themselves sincerely committed to justice for the Negro." They believe that American society is essentially hospitable to fair play and to steady growth toward a middle-class utopia embodying racial harmony. But unfortunately, this is a fantasy of self-deception and comfortable vanity. Overwhelmingly, America is still struggling with irresolution and contradictions. This past spring and summer of protests, would indicate to some degree that we have a long, long way to go when it comes to reconciling our past, our present, and our future with regard to racism and white supremacy. Whites, it must frankly be said in the words of King, are not putting in a similar mass effort to to re-educate themselves out of their racial ignorance. It is an aspect of their sense of superiority that the white people of America believe they have so little to learn. If you are uncomfortable right now, I implore you to hang in there with me, because I will be the first person to admit that I have a lot to learn. And this has me asking a lot of questions, one of which is, Have we as Christians, as people of the Bible, fundamentally misinterpreted something about God? What does the text tell us? Do we need to look again at how we understand light and dark? Might this be a starting point for a new perspective on racism and white supremacy? Canadian pastor Anthony Bailey writes this, We in the Christian Church use light imagery in positive ways and dark imagery in negative ways. Such stark contrasts are deeply painful for black people. It is true that in the Bible, darkness is seen as the antithesis of light. The Bible does use darkness to symbolize depravity and disobedience to God. However... Symbolic language is elastic because darkness is also the place out of which God speaks, encompassing the very presence of God. Bailey's church's anti-racism policy is trying to address, quote, what is called the racialization of the terms white and black. This occurred when some of the leading European Enlightenment philosophers, academics, and scientists arbitrarily assigned the positive and pure characteristics to the term light to white people, i.e. Europeans, and ascribed to non-Europeans, including the brown and black peoples of the world, the negative characteristics of the term dark. Once this separation of peoples based on race became entrenched, entrenched in education, science, economic, social and political policies and activities, of colonial conquest and enslavement, it was virtually impossible to use these terms in ways devoid of racist agenda. How deep is this notion of darkness as bad? How has this infiltrated our psyches? How much of our knee-jerk reactions reflect this? Is my friend, the professor shopping for groceries, Suspicious because darkness is bad. Perhaps we need to look more closely at how we understand darkness and light. Perhaps we need to reclaim the beauty of darkness. In Jonathan's sermon last week, he reminded us that God created light and darkness and both are good. Jonathan shared about how Abraham and Jacob experienced the transforming power of God in darkness. According to scientists, the dark is good for our sleep, our biology, and the health of our ecosystems. It's good for our creativity and our spirits. Paul Bogart has written extensively on the importance of darkness. He has a TED Talk focusing on why we need darkness. His research has documented how being exposed to light at night has detrimental effects. Just have someone shine a flashlight in your eyes and you will agree that light is not always welcome or good. As we look to our first text this morning from 1 Samuel, we see a young boy who's been dedicated to God by his mother, Hannah. And he is serving as an acolyte in a temple with the priest, Eli. This was a rough era for the people of God. In verse 1 of 1 Samuel 3, it tells us, In those days the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. But what happens in this narrative, the word of the Lord does come to Samuel in this darkness. Verse 7 states that Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. But the Lord keeps calling three times. The vision God shares with Samuel is a not a good one for Eli and his sons, yet the passage assures us that as Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him. Scholar Tamara Lewis asserts that this passage from 1 Samuel can be interpreted as associating holiness with darkness. This emphasis on the beauty and holiness of darkness mitigates the harmful and oppressive impact of traditional associations of blackness and darkness as evil, which have been used to oppress various groups throughout history. God calls to Samuel in the darkness. Like Abraham and Jacob, God shows up in the darkness to reveal God's self, to inform, to transform, to speak. Might God be speaking to us now? What are some other ways We can reclaim the beauty and the power of darkness. One of our other lectionary passages for today, Psalm 139, was chanted beautifully and not read this morning. This psalm is one of my favorites as it reminds us of how known we are. God has searched us and knows us when we sit and when we rise, our very thoughts and words before they are uttered. The psalmist writes that we have been knit together by God in the womb. A womb is dark, isn't it? Again, the beauty of darkness is revealed. The womb is complete darkness. Yet this is where life explodes, where growth happens, where a miracle occurs every time. A place where we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We can't see what is happening, but something beautiful is certainly underway. Have you ever been in a difficult place in your life, a trial, where you felt you couldn't see the way forward? Yet God felt more present than ever before? Perhaps you had the ears to hear God, like Samuel in the darkness, that you would not have had otherwise. Dark places in our lives can usher in the most transformative seasons if we let them. There is a sense of being fully known in the darkness. God being present with us. The psalmist speaks to this, and being fully known is quite wonderful. As we look to our third scripture this morning, we meet Nathanael. As Philip beckons Nathanael to come, Jesus discerning thoughts from far away discloses that he already knows Nathaniel. Nathanael is fully known and this blows him away Jesus knows him and this floors him Nathaniel believes and follows Jesus simply because he is known God knows us but do we know God? do we know ourselves? If we get to know God better, we know ourselves better because we are all image bearers. We all carry this divine spark and recognition. The closer we get to God, the closer we get to our true self. Franciscan priest Richard Rohr puts it this way. Jesus revealed and accepted a paradox. Human and divine are not separate, but one. Why do we resist this destiny? For most of us, this seems just too good and too dangerous to be true. There's so much contrary evidence. Are we afraid to bear the burden of divinity? It is precisely the divine part of you that is great enough, deep enough, gracious enough to fully accept the human part of you. Maybe we realize subconsciously that if we really recognize our true self, which is the divine indwelling, the Holy Spirit within us, if we really believed that we are temples of God, then we would have to live up to this incredible dignity, freedom, and love. Paradoxically, immense humility, not arrogance, characterizes the true self. You simultaneously know You are a son or a daughter of God, but you also know that you didn't earn it. You're not worthy of it. You know it's entirely a gift. To experience your true self, you are in God and God is in you. This is an opportunity to live a generous and just life from that infinite source. Well, we know that God is love. God filled creation with divine energy. And God is not a racist. God is pro-people. All people. So how can we be more like God? What is the invitation before us today? This summer, a group of women met under our portico at Mayflower to study a book titled Be the Bridge. This group committed to pursuing justice and racial unity in light of the gospel. Phenomenal discussion and action steps flowed from this group. Perhaps part of what this circle of women were doing involved addressing the faulty ideas about darkness. Perhaps this was another way for them to find God and in so doing find themselves. For those of us who are white, this journey to know ourselves and our role in the terrible history and present realities of racism in our world is not easy taking a look at our own prejudices bigotry and ignorance is terribly uncomfortable but we need to or nothing will change another 50 years and our friends of color will be writing the same books and preaching the same sermons we all have room to learn to grow and to be transformed to be better neighbors and to love well We must address our inherent racism, or we will perpetuate it. There are two opportunities I want to extend to you today. Beginning in Lent, Mayflower is engaging in reading the Bible together. Beginning with the New Testament and the life of Christ, we're going to have a Bible series called Immerse. We are all going to read the same scripture and have the kinds of opportunities to discuss what we have read. We can, in community, get to know God better, and get to know ourselves better, too. Also, on our website, and attached to the EVE bulletin you've received, is a resource list for anti-racism work. This list includes books to read, TED Talks and movies to watch, as well as podcasts to listen to. Can we as a church family answer the question Martin Luther King asked in his book, where do we go from here? Can we answer with a resounding response of community, not chaos? Last week, Jonathan expressed his anger over what is happening in our country with regard to racism and the events of January 6th. And he implored that we are better than this. He encouraged us to turn our anger into righteous energy. Maybe righteous energy for us right now is to begin, or for many of us, to continue our journey of self-discovery and holy exploration of who we are in God and who God is in us. Perhaps we can see ourselves in Nathaniel. Pastor John Wurzer writes, Just when Nathaniel seems to have grasped the new order Jesus is bringing about, Jesus moves things to another level still. You will see greater things than these. Even as he makes his confession of faith that day in Galilee, there is no way that Nathanael can know all that will await him on his path of discipleship, all that he will see, all that he will learn, and all that will remain a mystery. Quoting the psalmist, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high I cannot attain it. When Jesus says, you shall see greater things than these, could he be referring to beloved community? In the name of the Creator, the Savior, and the Holy Spirit, amen.
0: together in body this morning, but we're together in spirit. For this, we're immensely grateful. As we look forward to the new year with all its promises, please know that Mayflower counts on the generosity of its members to sustain our ministry and outreach. Thank you for giving.
2: Sometimes
0: Have so much to be grateful for. Let us give thanks. Let us pray. All we have comes from you. We only return a portion of what you have given us. Use our return gifts for your purpose. This we pray. Amen.
2: Praise God from all blessings flow, praise Him.
0: in the stillness of night in the clatter of day you call us and we respond here I am may we follow you and may we love as you love Holy One through trials and turbulence make us steady Your hands holding strong the fragile and the weak. May we love as you love. Gracious God, may the fruits of our lives be food for the hungry. Bread, clothing, shelter, fire, water, word. May we love as you love. God of justice, remove the barriers of our lives that keep us from one another's. Barriers that we construct based on political opinions, nationality, skin color, religion, gender, or sexual orientation. May we hear and follow graciously. May we love as you love. Loving God, take this day, take from us this day our fears, worries, distractions. Turn them into grace and mercy. And following the example of Martin Luther King Jr. and all your saints, may we love as you love.
3: Hope and love bring you. Come, lead the peoples to your peace as stars once led the way to you.
0: And let us pray the prayer that Jesus taught, saying Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Save us from the time of trial, and deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
2: Shared as one forevermore.
4: Lord, you have searched us and you know us. May we be a people of community, not chaos. May we seek God with our whole heart and may we find our true selves in this pursuit. May we passionately pursue justice while addressing our ignorance. May we love well and in so doing, seek greater things than these. Amen.